This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, before we get into the content of today's podcast, I want to go ahead and share something with you because something kind of interesting happened on Instagram. So this has nothing to do with the subject matter for today. So just bear with me for a little bit because I thought this was uh, pretty cool. So um, typically when someone follows us on Instagram, so we're just at Undaunted Life on Instagram, you know, I'll send them a message just, you know, thanking them for following us and letting them know that we've got a devotional out there and we've got this podcast and we've got this all, all these things out there. And typically people don't respond, you know, it just is what it is. But, um, I sent this out to a guy and he responded, uh, and I just want to kind of, uh, go through the interaction a little bit because I thought it was really important. And, um, I think it's important for all of us to be looking for people like this in our lives. So I'll start with the message after my message, basically letting him know what else we had. So here's the message from this guy. Awesome podcast, man. Listen to my first episode, Q&A, and really enjoyed it. I'm not Christian, but genuinely seeking God. So I thought that was interesting feedback from him. So I just sent him this message. If you don't mind me asking, why do you think you're seeking God? Okay. And this was his response and it's somewhat lengthy, but uh, I thought it was pretty telling. So he said, good question. Lots of things, but something just compels me to read and watch discussions around religion, the nature of God, what it all means, etc." When I try to ignore it and just keep on with life, I always end up picking up another book on faith because I just feel like something is missing. Life feels barren without a spiritual dimension too. While I believe in God, I throw questions around in my head a lot and so just end up sitting on the fence. So I end up being spiritual, but not religious. He says this in quotation marks, spiritual, but not religious, which isn't very satisfactory. Not sure if that makes sense or if I read your question question right. Sometimes I do wonder, though, if it's just intellectual masturbation and I'm really just seeking novelty and a form of entertainment. But as I say, when I just park the whole thing and try to ignore it, I just can't. It's like I want God in my life, but I just I'm just not sure how to confidently do that. Okay. So this was my response to him. I said, you're right that being spiritual without being religious is faulty and not fulfilling. The entirety of humanity comes down to one thing. Was Jesus of Nazareth resurrected from the dead? Because if he was, he is worth our worship. There is so much evidence to suggest that that's exactly what happened. God is calling you home to him. The Holy Spirit is attracting you. Jesus came here to be your savior. And this was his response back. That's a very powerful point that really focuses my perspective. I'm planning on visiting a local church in my area this weekend, so I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, Thank you very much for getting in touch. I appreciate you taking the time. And this guy lives in a small town in Australia. Um, And and gosh, I guess this just shows you the power of social media and an internet connection, you know what I mean? I mean, this is a guy that lives in a small town in Australia, uh, a country that I visited once. I can't imagine that I visited his city, but here I am in Edmond, Oklahoma, recording this, and that's where I typed the message, and here we are interacting, talking about God, and I'm I'm doing what I can to to assist in bringing him closer to God. The Holy Spirit's attracting him, and, and Jesus is the one that saves him, but I'm just doing my best to be a conduit through which he, he may be able to experience him in an even deeper way. So again, I just wanted to share that with you guys because um, 
if you get to the point where you feel like you don't have a really big voice, that no one's really listening to you, nothing that you post or, or talk about is important, Seeing this message was really, really important for me and important for this ministry because I want to make sure that no matter what type of content we're putting out there, you never know who's paying attention. Even if you're just a dude, a dude with, you know, a hundred Facebook friends and, you know, 15 LinkedIn connections or something like that. It really doesn't matter. You're having an impact on somebody and you literally never know when they're going to reach out to, you know, ask you about God or ask you about Jesus, or you have no idea what the Holy Spirit has in store for that situation. So be on the lookout for those. So let's go ahead and get back into, uh, or start the content that we were going to be talking about today. So today I've been excited for this podcast all year. Um, we, this was one of our first podcast episodes last year when we were looking at different books, but with this episode, we are going to go through our favorite books of 2018. Okay. So if you go back to, I think it was episode two, two or three of this podcast, we talked about, uh, our favorite books of 2017. And so again, with that episode, we kind of addressed the elephant in the room from the very beginning, which is that most men don't read. And and if you're still listening to this podcast, you know, 54 episodes in or something like that, you know, that that's not really uh, an acceptable thing for you guys to do that. We're not just going to let you off the hook because at the end of the day, it's one of those things that for you as a man, you're not cultivating mental resilience. If you're not reading it, it, it's really as clear as that. So I, I don't want to belabor that point too much because I think you guys get it because, you know, I'll repeat what I said last year. Uh, you think faster when you read. You retain more information if you practice that, uh, which, you know, obviously it does require practice. Um, it's been proven that it helps fight Alzheimer's and dementia and other mental disabilities whenever you get into older age. Uh, again, when we're talking about mental resilience, that is one of the easiest things that you can do. And I'm not saying that reading is easy. You're talking to a guy that reading does not come terribly naturally to. I'm not one of those people that was a kid that was just in the corner and wanted to curl up with a book and be left alone, right? I was the one that was being active and out there pushing and shoving and doing all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you that listen to this podcast are very similar to that. But the thing about it is, is this is where it comes for you guys that don't read. It's just excuses. And, and seriously, what is your excuse for not reading? Because there's not really a great excuse. I know a lot of really, really smart guys that have some margin in their lives and they'll read zero or one or two books a year. And one or two is better than nothing. But most of the guys that I know that are in my circle uh, of friends, kind of my extended circle of friends, read zero, which is pathetic. So again, this is another call to action for you guys. Now, if you're not reading, it's ridiculous. Hopefully after this podcast, you have some ideas of some books that you would want to read, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Okay. So let me just go ahead and talk about this year's list. Um, <clears throat> man, this was a tough year for books. I just got to be honest. So, uh, I, I met my goal, uh, through it that I wanted to do through the ministry and for myself to read 25 books. Um, but man, this was a tough year for good books. Um, there were so many books that I was really excited about reading this year. Um, and I read a lot of those and most of them were disappointing. And there were some books that I was really excited to read that I even talked about on last year's episode that I didn't even get to. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later, but Gosh, around around the six month mark, I mean, maybe around June or July, I was like, man, what's going on? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm picking the wrong books or things just aren't landing. Am I stupid? Like, I just didn't know, but I'm just like, okay, I'm convinced the second half of the year, it's going to get better. I'm going to read better books and this is going to be awesome. And it never really happened. Like, um, I haven't really done this for that long in terms of reading this many books, but I've never had a year this bad for reading books. And so 
That's not to say anything about the list of books that I'm going to talk about in terms of our favorite books of 2018, because the books are all quality and I think you should read all of them, but it was just really tough. And I hope that 2019 is much, much better. And you'll have something to do with that because hopefully you can suggest some books to me that won't leave me disappointed. But one thing that I will go ahead and bring up again, not all of these books were released in 2018. So a lot of these end of the year, best books of the year, best this of the year, it's all books that were released in that year. That's not the way that I do things. Because if if you're like me, again, reading 25 to 30 books a year, I'm not reading 100, 150 books a year. So I try to maximize, again, I didn't do a very good job this year, but I try to maximize the amount of good content that I'm taking in. And so if I'm not taking in good content, I'm just wasting time. And I'm one of those guys that even if I'm a quarter of the way through the book and I know it sucks, I have to finish it. It's just, I think I've not finished a book once or twice in my life. So again, not all these books were released in 2018. Some of them were released a considerable amount of time ago, but they were just books that I took down this year. Um, some of these are on the Undaunted Life book list. So if you've been on our website, if you just go to undaunted.life backslash book list, it's a hundred books that every modern Christian man should read. So some of these are actually on there, which is nice. Um, but the thing about it is, is a lot of people do like a countdown, like, okay, here's my top 10 going from 10 down to one or something like that. That's not how we do that. We basically do random categories. So the best books that, that we read this year, um, we wanted to look at just different categories and why they would be important to you. So these are not in any order, but I I will tell you that the last two books that I'm going to tell you about are the worst and best books subsequently that uh, I read this year. And so that'll be there at the end, but there's really no order or flow to the, the, the eight that I'm going to be talking about before that. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the top books of 2018. And the first book we are calling the most interesting book that I read this year, and that is the book of man readings on the path to manhood. And so this is by William J. Bennett. And so with with most of these books, guys, I'm going to read through the description because a lot of times it's hard to kind of encapsulate what was happening in the book. Uh, but I feel like most of the authors or the publishers do a really good job of that. And typically they do that by providing a description. And so for all these, I'm just going to read the description, you know, what you would get on Amazon or Goodreads or something like that. So here's the description for the book of man. Raising up men has never been easy, but today it seems particularly tough. The young and old need heroes to embody the eternal qualities of manhood, honor, duty, valor, and integrity. In the book of man, William J. Bennett points the way, offering a positive, encouraging, uplifting, realizable idea of manhood, redolent of history and human nature, and practical for contemporary life. Using profiles, stories, letters, poems, essays, historical vignettes, and myths to bring his subject to life, the Book of Man defines what a man should be, how he should live, and what he should aspire in several key areas of life, war, work, leisure, and more. Whether we take up the sword, the plow, the ball, the gavel, Our children or our Bibles, says Bennett. We must always do it like the men we were called to be. The book of man shows us how. So guys, if you're uh, familiar with this book, perhaps it's because you've been listening to this podcast for a while, because I did a whole podcast episode on this book. So this was episode seven of this podcast. And so I would go back if you want a a more in-depth look at this book, because I did take a much deeper dive than what I'm going to do in this podcast. But uh, for us, why it was the most interesting book this year is because it was so exhaustive, right? Because it said it right there in the description. There are profiles, stories, letters, poems, essays, historical vignettes, and myths. And so there's something for everyone in this book. Um, 
it's even calling it a book. It's more of a compendium of knowledge on manhood. I think that's very, very important for most people to read. I had a guy message me uh, from another ministry saying, you know, he got it as a, a gift for his boss or, or a buddy of his or something like that, because you really can't read through this entire book and be like, well, I didn't get anything out of that. I mean, there's, there's literally something for everybody. There's no excuses why guys wouldn't like this book, but I am going to read you my favorite quote from this book. And so this is from the first section of the book, which is man in war. John Stuart Mill, the British philosopher, said, War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks that nothing is worth war, is much worse. A man who has nothing for which he is willing to fight, nothing which is more important than his own personal safety, is a miserable creature and has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself." I mean, that, that is one, not just one of my favorite quotes from that book. That's probably one of my favorite quotes ever. So again, I don't know that I ever would have ran across that, across that quote if I had not read that. But again, the most interesting book that we read this year, the book of man readings on the path to manhood. All right. The next book that I want to talk to you about is the most nostalgic book. And this was Lord of the Flies. And so far, I know uh, a lot of you read this William Golding novel back in like ninth or 10th grade or something like that, but maybe you haven't read it in a while. And so the thing about it was, is I was, I was just kind of a clown in school. I mean, I made good grades, but I was always just trying to make everyone laugh. I wasn't really concerned about learning. And so a lot of the classics that most of y'all read and maybe actually paid attention to, I didn't, I will say whenever I was in my teenage years, even in my early teenage years, reading was just hard for me. I would fall asleep trying to read and just nothing was that interesting, which is funny because all we had to read in school was fiction, right? For the most part. So when you were in English class, you were reading fiction, you weren't reading nonfiction. And so today I read one or two fiction books a year and the rest is nonfiction. And I like that way better. I I tend to struggle with reading fiction. So, um, but this is a, is a great book. And for those of you who have never heard of it, let me go and read the description to you here. At the dawn of the next world war, a plane crashes on the uncharted island, stranding a group of schoolboys. At first, with no adult supervision, their freedom is something to celebrate. This far from civilization, they can do anything they want. Anything. But as order collapses, as strange howls echo in the night, as terror begins its reign, the hope of adventure seems as far removed from reality as the hope of being rescued. And so the thing about why this is so nostalgic is because, again, I don't really remember too many of the details from the last time I read it. And so I don't know about you guys, if you have more of an eidetic memory or a little bit, uh, just a better memory than I do. But if I read stuff a long time ago, especially if it was a narrative uh, that you would see in a novel or even a classic, I, I can kind of remember some of the large, uh, I don't know the best way to say it, some of, some of the bigger macro issues or themes that were coming from that book, but I miss a lot of the details. And so, uh, but th- going back to this book, this was, this was really fun. It was a really fun read. Um, and so it had that nostalgia cause it kind of took me back to, you know, when I was in Miss Bear's 10th grade class at Lawton Eisenhower, uh, back in, I don't know what year that would have been 2001 or something like that, whenever we were actually reading this book, but I will give you my favorite quote from the book here. Ralph wept for the end of innocence, the darkness of man's heart, and the fall through the air of the true wise friend called Piggy. And so if you haven't read that book, I am not going to spoil anything for you. Seriously, if you've not read this book, it doesn't take very long, but let's just say things did not work out very well for Piggy. So the most nostalgic book we took down in 2018, Lord of the Flies. All right, next book, we're going to talk about the best short read of the year, which is Take Heart, Christian Courage in the Age of Unbelief by Matt Chandler. So obviously, I'm a huge Matt Chandler fan. I talk about that pretty much every episode of this podcast, but if you're not familiar with this book, let me go ahead and give you the description here. Christendom is dead, and that's a good thing. 
The Christian culture that has underpinned Western society for centuries has been eroded. We're now at the point where to disagree with someone on issues such as marriage and sexuality is seen as hateful. Christians are no longer seen as honorable, but as bigots. But history testifies that the more people try to destroy Christianity, the more it grows. So we are entering an exciting period of time because we're back in the place where Christ's church can thrive, at the margins of society. In this stirring, passionate book, Matt Chandler shows us we need Christian courage like never before and how to live with compassion and conviction, able to look around positively and reach out confidently. It encourages us not to be thwarted by fear, but to depend on God and have confidence that Christ will build his church despite continual marginalization. A must-read for any Christian who wants to understand how to stand firm and walk forward in an increasingly secular culture. So, uh, again, guys, this is—it's uh, a great book that if you haven't read it before, uh, it's such a short read. That's why I really included it in in the way that we're talking about this podcast is because it's so easily digestible, even though it's such a large subject matter, and it could be so uh, potentially damaging for people uh, in terms of if they don't embrace it and don't look further into it. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, again, guys, we did a whole podcast episode uh, way back a few months ago. So this would have been pop uh, episode number 14. So if you go back in this podcast, episode 14 is still available. I did a much, much deeper dive, dive there. But the reasons why this is maybe the best short read of the year and what it is in our opinion is, first of all, because Chandler's a gangster and we just love Matt Chandler. Again, he's he's popped up so many times on this podcast because he's had such a tremendous impact on us. But the the real reason is just because it's a great reminder of how our mindset should be. Because I talk to a lot of people that are very, very concerned about where society is now and the direction that it's heading, but they're not doing anything to change it. I mean, they're certainly not doing anything to prepare themselves. And so what I feel like I see a lot of Christians doing or, you know, trending towards is that they're just kind of like complaining a lot. Like, oh man, 10 years ago, this never would have happened. Or could you imagine this happening when you were growing up? And it's, you know, some of, some of that's okay. I guess you can lament the past a little bit, but I feel like every generation laments the past just a little bit. And so I don't know that it's necessarily helpful. So I feel like this book is, is much more helpful in that area. So let me go ahead and go through my favorite quote from this book. So here's my favorite quote. Yet it's an attribute that when we know it, consider it and believe it will give us courage in this age of unbelief. It's the understanding that God is a warrior. This attribute of God has almost completely vanished today. When did you last hear a sermon on the warrior nature of God? When we think about God, we tend to think about Nickelodeon, not HBO, about Disney, not Dunkirk. Without realizing it, we can end up with a Tinkerbell Jesus who has a bag of pixie dust and all he does is sprinkle us with blessings. He never gets upset about anything. You can't do anything wrong. His sprinkle dust is there to help you understand that. Yes, you really are amazing. Don't get me wrong. You cannot think too much about the, or appreciate too deeply the grace, mercy, long-suffering, patience, and kindness of the triune God. We must never neglect those attributes of God. God is not only a warrior, and this is only one way of thinking and speaking about him. Of course, he's more than a warrior, but he's not less. Make no mistake, the Bible does paint God as a warrior. So guys, if you've been listening to our content or reading our content for any, any length of time, you know that this is right up our alley. So uh, part of the reason for a lot of guys that maybe they miss out on who Jesus is is because they hear way too much about the Lamb of God and hear nothing, nothing at all about the Lion of Judah. 
And so, again, looking at our God as if he is a warrior, which he is, and describing him in that way and looking at the triune God in the appropriate light is incredibly important. So this is a great book for you guys. Again, a really, really short read. So the best short read of 2018 is Take Heart, Christian Courage in the Age of Unbelief. All right, guys, moving on to the next book, we're going to go through what I consider to be the most fun book that we looked at in 2018, and that was Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling. And so this is by good old JR, Jim Ross. And so let me go and read the description to you here in case you guys don't know who we're talking about. There are a few people who have been in the wrestling business longer than Jim Ross, and those who have made it as long as he has, half a century to be exact, probably made enemies or burned bridges, but that's just not JR. Slobberknocker is a story of how an Oklahoman farm kid with a vivid imagination and seemingly unattainable dreams became the voice of wrestling to record TV audiences and millions of fans around the world. Jim opens up about his life as an only child on working on a working farm who became obsessed with professional wrestling having first saw it at his grandparents' television set. Even though the wrestling business was notoriously secretive and wary of outsiders, he somehow got a foot in the door to start a historic career, one where he held almost every job in the business, from putting up the ring to calling matches, from driving his blind, drunk boss towards revenge, to consoling two naked 600-pound brothers in the shower in the shower room after a rough match. With all of those adventures and responsibilities, he's also recognized as the man who built and nurtured a once-in-a-generation talent roster that took the WWE to new heights, including Stone Cold Steve Austin, Brock Lesnar, and The Rock, to name a few. Readers will finally get the opportunity to hear the never-before-told stories about the politics, wackiness, and personalities of all the biggest stars. But this isn't just a wrestling story. It's a story about overcoming adversity and achieving your dreams as success did not come without significant costs and unforeseen challenges to JR, including multiple bouts of severe facial paralysis called Bell's Palsy. Currently the host of the podcast, The Ross Report, any fan of wrestling from the territory days to today will be enthralled with stories from the road and behind the scenes. Slobberknocker is is the first time Ross tells his story and you don't want to miss it. So guys, we're considering this the most fun read of this year because I think for most of you out there, most of you grew up with professional wrestling in some way. I know a lot of guys are around my age, so maybe early 30s, kind of an older millennial. And so you grew up during kind of the, the real early days of when the WWE and the WCW were kind of doing the Monday Night Wars. And you grew up during the Attitude Era of WWE and kind of the NWO Goldberg Era of WCW and those types of things. And I was like any kid. That I just loved Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and Big Boss Man and Jake the Snake and Superfly Jimmy Snuka and all these people and and you know I had the the you know the the pillows and I went as Bret Hart for Christmas one year and like or not Christmas <laughs> Bret Hart for Christmas I went as him for Halloween it'd be really weird to go as Bret Hart for Christmas but you get what I'm saying but at the end of the day it was just a really really fun thing to do as a kid and I remember thinking it was real when I was a kid and kind of being a little bit heartbroken when it kind of came out to be you know not real and then you know kind of dealing with that and then eventually like what most people do is you kind of grow out of it. So I remember in college, uh, I hadn't watched wrestling in probably a decade, but there was a pay-per-view that was coming to what was then the Ford Center in Oklahoma City. And I had a buddy that asked me if I wanted to go. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. So I got to see Ric Flair wrestle. I got to see a cage match. Got to see Kurt Angle kind of fighting the, in the, the championship, uh, the main event and all that kind of stuff. So it was really, really fun. But it's just such a fun book if you have any experience with professional wrestling. Because again, this is a guy that did everything. You heard it in the description. The guy just did 
everything that you could possibly imagine. And so some of the favorite memoirs that I've ever read in my entire life are memoirs from these wrestlers. So uh, the Bret Hart memoir is one of my favorite books that I've ever read. Um, I hear, I've heard a lot of great things about Chris Jericho's books, uh, Mankind or Mick Foley. He wrote, he wrote some books and those were really, really fantastic. But this is a book that I actually listened to. And so I, I listened to two books uh, via Audible this year, and this was one of them. And it was actually a treat because Jim Ross, that famous, famous voice, was reading the entirety of the book. And so hearing him read his own story, it was fairly unique. And, and I was very impressed with, with how he was able to do that. And so, uh, again, with all these, I'm kind of pulling out my favorite quote. But to be honest with you, I can't just do one quote from this book. So I'm not just going to give you a favorite quote. Because the thing is, is there wasn't a whole lot of quotable material in this book. There was just a ton of great stories. I mean, some of his stories with what he did with Ric Flair and kind of, you know, everything you've heard about the legend of Ric Flair, it's true and some. And so it's really, gosh, it's just such a fun book. Again, we put it in that category for a reason. But again, if you have anything to do with wrestling or if you liked wrestling while you were growing up, even if you like wrestling now, I think it'd be a nice uh, nice way for you to take that in. And again, reading is the thing that I would suggest you uh, most to do. But if you do uh, want a treat, go ahead and buy it on Audible and listen to it. It really is pretty solid. So again, the most fun book of the year is Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling. All right, guys, the next book we're going to do is the most informative book of the year, and that is Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, The Simple Science of Building the Ultimate Male Body by Michael Matthews. So let me go ahead and give you the description here. If you want to build muscle, lose fat, and look great as quickly as possible without steroids, good genetics, or wasting ridiculous amounts of time in the gym and money on supplements, regardless of your age, then you want to read this book. Building muscle and burning fat isn't as complicated as the fitness industry wants you to believe. This book is the shortcut. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars per month on the worthless supplements that steroid-fueled bodybuilders swear by. You don't need to constantly change up your weightlifting exercises to build muscle mass. Muscle building is much simpler than that. You don't need to spend a couple of hours every day doing tons of weight training sets, supersets, drop sets, etc. In fact, this is a great way to get nowhere. You don't need to grind out hours of boring cardio to shed ugly belly fat and get a six-pack. You don't have to do any cardio, actually. You don't need to obsess over clean eating and avoid unhealthy foods to get ripped. Flexible dieting is the real secret of effective bodybuilding nutrition. Those are just a few of the harmful lies and myths that keep guys from ever achieving the lean, muscular, strong, and healthy bodies they truly desire. And in this book, you're going to learn something most guys will never know. The exact methods of diet and training that make putting on 10 to 15 pounds of quality, lean mass a breeze and only takes a few, few months. Here are just a few of the things you're going to discover in this book. The seven biggest muscle building myths and mistakes that keep guys small, weak, and frustrated. How to build muscle, lose fat, and get healthy eating foods you love and never feeling starved, deprived, or like you're on a diet. An all-in-one training system that delivers maximum results for your efforts, helping you build a big, full chest, a wide, tapered back, thick, powerful legs, and bulging arms, spending no more than three to six hours in the gym every week, doing workouts that energize you, not wipe you out. A no BS guide to supplements that will teach you what works and what doesn't and save you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars each year. How to master the inner game of fitness and develop the self-discipline and willpower to take it takes to build the body of your dreams and actually enjoy the process. The three simple laws of muscle growth that, when applied, literally force your body to grow bigger and stronger. How to get shredded while still indulging in the cheap foods that you love every week like pasta, pizza, and ice cream, and a whole lot more. So guys, I know that sounded like I was like reading an infomercial, but again, if you think back a little bit on this podcast, episode 30, we did a whole podcast episode on this book. 
This book is literally one of the most informative books I've ever read on any subject. So obviously that's why you put it as the most informative book of this year. And the thing about this book is, again, I don't have a favorite quote that I can pull out because this is more of a reference book. So again, you kind of, guys, I hope you kind of know the difference between that. This is not really a book that you just read through like it's a novel. You can't really just pull out quotes. There's just too much tangible information that you can use. So again, this is more of a reference book. This is a book that I actually go back to several several times. And so every six or seven weeks when I kind of change up what I'm doing and I take an active rest week, I'll revisit some of the things in the book as I'm kind of planning out my next six weeks of lifts and stuff like that. So it's a really important book in that way. But again, go back to episode 30 of this podcast. I took a very, very deep dive into this book because again, fitness and, and, and health and all the things therein, it's one of those areas that you can just, you can study for hours or days and even get your PhD in something and still not even know jack crap about it or the stuff that you know is just flat out wrong. And so this book really takes the, uh, the side of research and making sure that there's not just anecdotal evidence, but actual scientific and nutrition based evidence for why these things are working. So again, go back to episode 30. If you want a deeper dive again, the most informative book of this year, bigger, leaner, stronger, the simple science of building the ultimate male body. All right, guys, the next book that we're going to talk about is the most entertaining book that we took down this year, and that is Shoe Dog, a memoir by the creator of Nike. So here's the description. In this instant and tenacious bestseller, Nike founder and board chairman Phil Knight offers a rare and revealing look at the notoriously media-shy man behind the swoosh, illuminating his company's early days as an intrepid startup and its evolution into one of the the world's most iconic, game-changing, and profitable brands. Bill Gates named Shoe Dog one of his favorite books of 2016 and called it an amazing tale, a refreshingly honest reminder of what the path to business success really looks like. It's a messy, perilous, and chaotic journey riddled with mistakes, endless struggles, and sacrifice. Phil Knight opens up in few in ways few CEOs are willing to do. Fresh out of business school, Phil Knight borrowed $50 from his father and launched a company with one simple mission, import high-quality, low-cost running shoes from Japan. Selling the shoes from the trunk of his car in 1963, Knight grossed $8,000 that first year. Today, Nike's annual sales top $30 billion. In this age of startups, Knight's Nike is the gold standard, and its swoosh is one of the few icons instantly recognized in every corner of the world. But Knight, the man behind the swoosh, has always been a mystery. In Shoe Dog, he tells his story at last. At 24, Knight decides that rather than work for a big corporation, he will create something all his own. New, dynamic, different. He details the many risks he's encountered, the crushing setbacks, the ruthless competitors, and hostile bankers, as well as his many thrilling triumphs. Above all, he recalls the relationship that formed at the heart and soul of Nike with his former track coach, their irascible and charismatic Bill Bowerman, and with his first employees, a ragtag group of misfits and savants who quickly became a band of swoosh-crazed brothers. Together, harnessing the electrifying power of a bold vision and a shared belief in the transformative power of sports, they created a brand and a culture that changed everything. So why this was the most entertaining book that I took in this year, this was actually another one of those books that we're looking at. Uh, it was one of three books, actually. I think I misspoke earlier when I said I had two audiobooks. This is one that I actually listened to when my wife and I were on a camping trip in Colorado. So we actually listened to this together because at the time we considered ourselves a Nike family and had always been kind of interested in the mystery man, Phil Knight, and, and the thing that he had, had done. And so this was a very compelling book for us. Uh, Phil Knight read the introduction, introduction to the book, but I don't think he read... No, he didn't read the rest of it. He just read the introduction, so it wasn't as compelling as, as if he had read it, but you know, it was pleasing enough. But it was so entertaining because everyone knows Nike. 
again, it is one of those few brands that is recognized around the world. I mean, think about the logos that are recognizable to any culture. Uh, Coca-Cola, Apple, uh, gosh, Nike, that may be it. Adidas. Those, those are the, those are the brands that we're looking at across the world where it's like anybody anywhere in the world knows what that is. They know what the swoosh means. And so hearing about some of the ways that these things unfolded, because we look at it now and it's like, okay, the guy's a billionaire multiple times over. He's been relatively free from any type of chaos or criticism. I mean, Nike's had their fair share of criticism in a lot of ways. And a lot of that is fair, especially here lately with their handling of the Colin Kaepernick situation. But the thing it was, the reason why it was most entertaining is because you don't really get to see this deep of a dive. Um, And you don't really see a lot of CEOs and memoirs self-deprecating. That's something that I've noticed that they, they were always the guy in the know. That's what it seems like. Like they were always in a world where things could have gone a whole lot better. But uh, if people had only known from the beginning how good that they were and how much, how smart they were. But this is a guy that's just like, dude, I had no freaking idea. Like I had no clue whatsoever what was going on. And so I really did enjoy that. But I will say this, the most disappointing thing about this book was the number one thing that I was looking forward to reading it for. And that was, I wanted to hear the story about Michael Jordan. I I wanted to hear everything that went into Michael Jordan being courted by Nike and how, you know, this really put Nike on the map. And it was kind of this big deal. The majority of the book kind of focused on how Nike became this really famous track shoe, right? You know, starting in Oregon, which obviously has a very story track program and background and things like that. But I want to hear about MJ. I wanted to hear about the greatest athlete ever to play any sport ever. That's what I wanted to hear about. And there was nothing. I can't even remember if he was mentioned. And if he did, he was just mentioned as an aside. So when I got to the end of the book, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And I think I went and looked online and tried to figure it out. I think there was, you know, some disputes at that time about, you know, how he, how he got there. And, you know, the, the guy that helped get him there is not with Nike anymore. It was just, it was nonsense. So as entertaining of a book as this was, that was my big disappointment. So moving on from my disappointment, I will give you my favorite quote from this book. I thought back on my running career at Oregon. I competed with and against men far better, faster, more physically gifted. Many were future Olympians. And yet I trained myself to forget this unhappy fact. People reflexively assume that competition is always a good thing and that it always brings out the best in people. But that's only true of people who can forget the competition. The art of competing I learned from track was the art of forgetting. And now I reminded myself of that fact. You must forget your limits. You must forget your doubts, your pain, your past, you. And so I thought that was a compelling quote there from a guy who was a competitive runner, who obviously has led all these different uh, competitive athletes all over the place. I thought it was a very apropos quote. So that, again, is the most entertaining book we took down this year, which is Shoe Dog, a memoir by the creator of Nike. All right, guys, the next book we're going to talk about is the most impactful book that we looked at this year, and that was Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. So let's go to the description here. He is America's most prolific serial killer, and yet Kermit Gosnell was no obvious criminal. The abortion doctor was a pillar of his community, an advocate for women's reproductive health, and a respected member of Philadelphia's professional elite. His Women's Medical Society clinic looked like admirable community outreach by a brave doctor committed to upholding women's rights. Meanwhile, inside the filthy building, Gosnell was casually murdering born-alive infants, butchering women, and making a horrific collection of severed babies' feet. His accomplices in crime were a staff of dropouts, drug addicts, and unlicensed medical professionals posing as doctors. 
But even more important to his decades-long crime spree were his enablers in the outside world, from the state bureaucrats who had copious evidence that Gosnell was breaking the law but did nothing to the poli- to the politicians whose fervent support of abortion rights kept health inspectors away. The pro-choice political, bureaucratic, and media establishment smiled on Gosnell and gave him carte blanche to kill. Even law enforcement seemed not to care. Philadelphia Police Homicide Unit received a complaint about Gosnell years before he was caught, giving it a cursory look and ignored the evidence. Two women and hundreds of babies died after they closed the case. Luckily, Detective Jim Wood, a narcotics detective, opened a drug case against Gosnell. What he found when he served his warrant left even the most grizzled members of of the police force stunned. Now, Anne McElhaney and Phylum McAller, the veteran investigative journalists and filmmakers behind Frack Nation, dig into Gosnell's crimes. A record-breaking crowdfunding campaign financed their Gosnell movie starring young Superman Dean Cain, but in the research for the film, McElhaney and McAleer uncovered fascinating and previously unreported revelations that couldn't be included in the film. Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer, contains the full results of their investigation. So again, guys, this was here recently, episode 44 of this podcast. I did an entire episode on the book, but I also looked at the movie because, again, I had some friends that got me passes to one of the pre-screenings here in Oklahoma City. And so, again, horrifying book, horrifying movie, uh, not a graphic movie, but horrifying nonetheless. But it's a story that needs to be told. And and that's why this is the most impactful book, because most people just ignore this. You know, I've talked to people uh, even here recently that are a little bit more on the pro-choice side of things until I start asking them questions like, hey, do you know what happens when an abortion goes on? They're like, well, no. I was like, well, what do you think happens? And they have no idea. They don't know that babies are being ripped to pieces after the point where they can feel pain that they're being partially born, but their heads are left in the vaginal canal, and a doctor, supposed doctor, shoves a pair of scissors into the base of the kid's skull, sucks out the brains so that the the skull deflates, and then they pull the rest of the baby out, right? They don't really talk about that. Again, go back to episode six of this podcast, where I talk about abortion in its entirety. But this book is so impactful in the movie therein uh, that is going to be coming to DVD here soon, because it tells a story that otherwise people would have, they, they wouldn't even be thinking twice about it. Because Gosnell performed thousands and thousands of murders uh, under the guise of the law and under the protection of the law. And it was called women's rights and this is okay and a woman should have the right to choose, even if she's just choosing for the mere sake of convenience because she doesn't have enough money to have a kid or because now's not a good time or I don't know who the father is or, you know, whatever the thing might be. There's not an actual, like, even decent reason why they would take the life. It's just because they don't want to raise the child, right? So again, it's an incredibly impactful book because it gives you a deep dive look into just one abortion doctor. And again, this guy's case might sound extreme. And to a certain degree, it is. He was basically inducing birth. Uh, these women were giving live birth to to babies that were, you know, they were babies before before they passed the vaginal canal. And they're certainly babies after they passed the vaginal canal. And he was snipping their necks. So these would be babies that would be crying, moving, and he would snip their necks while they were alive. So he was murdering these babies. Now, he was convicted, I think, on seven counts of that. But there's no telling how many hundreds, if not thousands of times he had done that. But again, you have to ask yourself, would we be freaking out if this had taken place inside the vaginal canal or in the womb? Would, would we have made a big deal about this? Why do we consider one murder and not the other? So here's my favorite quote here. Uh, and it's disturbing, but uh, I don't care. You need, to, you need to hear this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to sanitize it for you. So favorite quote from the book. Baby boy A was born and murdered on the same day. July 12, 2008. 
He was so large, even in a, cl in a clinic where late abortions were not unusual, that two clinic employees snapped pictures of him on their cell phones. The frozen remains of baby boy B were found the night of February of the February 2010 raid. The grand jury included a photograph in its final report. It shows a long gash at the base of the baby's neck. Linda Williams slit the neck of baby C after Gosnell delivered the baby alive. Williams testified the baby moved and breathed for 20 minutes before it was killed. Baby D was delivered into a toilet and was attempting to swim. It was struggling to live. Adrian Motten picked it up from the toilet bowl and severed its spinal cord. Baby E was the baby that cried, the one Sherry West said sounded like a little alien. Two of Gosnell's assistants heard it. Gosnell went into the procedure room alone and the crying stopped. When he emerged, the baby was dead. He put the body in the trash. Isn't that nice? He put the body in the trash. After baby F jerked its leg to its chest, Gosnell cut its neck with scissors. Baby G breathed. Gosnell, Gosnell snipped its neck. The two cases of infanticide involved two babies discovered frozen in containers during the February 2010 raid. The first, a 28-week-old boy, had a surgical incision at the base of the neck. The medical examiner found that the baby had been viable. The second was a 26-week-old girl the medical examiner and examiner also determined to be viable. Her remains had been frozen in a distilled water jug. So again, those were the babies, and there was one woman that he was convicted of murdering, but those are the babies that he had murdered. <clears throat> and again, we go back to that same question that we just talked about earlier. Why is this such a big deal in the society where we live? After decades and decades of Roe v. Wade, why in the world is this a big deal? Perhaps because these are human lives and they're worth our protection. Okay. Most impactful book that we took down this year, Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer. All right, guys, next book, we're going to look at the most relevant book that we took down this year. And that's way of the wolf straight line selling master the art of persuasion, influence, and success by Jordan Belfort. So let me give you the description here. Jordan Belfort, immortalized by Leonardo DiCaprio in the hit movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, reveals the step-by-step -step sales and persuasion system proven to turn anyone into a sales-closing, money-earning rock star. For the first time ever, Jordan Belfort opens his playbook and gives readers access to his exclusive step-by-step -step system, the same system he used to create massive wealth for himself, his clients, and his sales teams. Until now, this revolutionary program was only available through Jordan's $1,997 online training. Now, in the way of the wolf, Belfort is ready to unleash the power of persuasion to a whole new generation of readers, revealing how anyone can bounce back from devastating setbacks, master the art of persuasion, and build wealth. Every technique, every strategy, and every tip has been tested and proven to work in real-life situations. Written as an own inimitable voice, Way of the Wolf cracks the code on how to persuade anyone to do anything and coaches readers, regardless of age, education, or skill level, to be a master salesperson, negotiator, closer, entrepreneur, or speaker. Okay, so I know that's going to sound and probably did sound a little bit more self-helpy than uh, what we normally talk about here on this podcast. Again, that was kind of written by a salesperson or a marketing person, but here, here's the real deal. Jordan Belfort is kind of a gross guy who's done some really gross things and has not always been a stand-up guy. He's kind of a sleazeball, whatever the thing he might be. But if anything, this dude can sell. And so why this is incredibly relevant is because I know a lot of you guys in this book work direct, or sorry, a lot of you guys listening to this podcast listen to different things that try to tell you how to be better at sales. A lot of you guys are in sales or maybe you're ancillarily helping different sales uh, ventures. Maybe you're a business owner or something like that. But most of the stuff that's out there about selling is absolute garbage. And that you're talking to somebody who's taken in a lot 
of content when it comes to direct sales and reaching out to people directly, anything that has to do with that type of thing. But this is incredibly relevant because this system has worked. This guy is incredible at sales. And so this is one of those super proven guys that had an extreme personal life, but on his professional side of things, you just can't deny the things that he was able to do. And to think he did most of it over the phone. I mean, for any of you guys that have done any type of selling, selling in person is hard enough, even if you have a product that people want. But when you're doing it over the phone and people don't know you're calling and they don't necessarily want what you're selling, it's almost impossible. So a really, really fantastic book. There's a lot of incredible um, nuanced things about body language, also how you set up a meeting, how you traverse a meeting, how to effectively use a script, you know, to where you don't sound like you're losing, uh, using a script. And so again, for a lot of you guys out there that are in business of any kind, this is an incredibly practical book. That's why it's so relevant. And I'm going to give you my favorite quote from the book, but the favorite quote here is just basically him reciting his five core elements of his straight line system. So I'll just give them to you here. The five core elements of the straight line system. One, The prospect must love your product. Number two, the prospect must trust and connect with you. Number three, the prospect must trust and connect with your company. Number four, lower the action threshold. Number five, raise the pain threshold. And so for, again, you guys that are in sales, a lot of that stuff landed with you because this is something that you've thought about or had to deal with uh, when on a sales call or something like that. So again, uh, I'm not a self-help type guy. Again, go back to last year's least favorite book that, that we took down. I just don't do self-help. I just think it's mainly hogwash and nonsense. But this was one that was incredibly practical. There were certain uh, parts of the book that you could kind of skim over because he was just kind of belaboring a point. But uh, that's not necessarily something that you'll want to do whenever he gets into the actual structures of how he does his thing. So again, the most relevant book, The Way of the Wolf, Straight Line Selling, Master the Art of Persuasion, Influence, and Success. So we're down to our last two books, guys. And like I said at the beginning, we're going to look at the best book of the year, but also the most disappointing book of the year. So the most disappointing book that was read this year, that we read this year, was When Violence is the Answer, Learning How to Do What It Takes When Your Life is at Stake by Tim Larkin. Okay, so let me just give you the quote from from this book that I thought... uh, When I read this, I was like, yes, this is the book I've been waiting for. Like, oh man, there's people that have kind of hinted at it, but this is the one. This is the one here. So let me read this quote to you. In a civilized society, violence is rarely the answer, but when it is, it's the only answer. The sound of breaking glass downstairs in the middle of the night, the words move and you die, the hands on your child or the knife on your throat. In this essential new book, self-protection expert and former military intelligence officer Tim Larkin changes the way we think about violence in order to save our lives. By deconstructing our assumptions about violence, its morality, its functions in modern society, how it actually works, Larkin unlocks the shackles of our own taboos and arms us with what we need to know to prevent, prepare for, and survive the unthinkable event of life or death violence. Through a series of harrowing true life stories, Larkin demonstrates that violence is a tool equally effective in the hands of the bad guy or the good guy. That the person who acts first, fastest, and with full force of their body is the one who survives. And that each and every one of us is capable of being that person when our lives are at stake. An indispensable resource, when violence is the answer, will remain with you long after you've finished listening and as the bedrock of your self-protection skills and knowledge. So I was like, yes, 
man, I was so excited. Like I talked about this at the end of last year's podcast. I think I did like the top 10 books that I was looking forward most to reading uh, the next year. And this was one of them. And I, to be honest with you, I had started reading another book and I like stopped reading that one. So I could start reading this one. It was the first book that I took in this year. And I was so let down, like mega let down. And the reason was, is because even though there's quotes like that in there that I certainly agree with, I certainly agree with the sheepdog lifestyle and preparing yourself uh, to be effectively violent if need be, you know, being an advocate of martial arts, jujitsu, of concealed carry and knowing how to use multiple weapon systems and, you know, being aware, being left of bang, whatever the thing was, this book was mainly bullshito. And I think some of you out there know exactly what I mean. So most of the things that he said were, were just kind of nonsense. I, it was almost a little bit bait and switchy. It was like this guy couldn't think of enough things to fill up a, a multiple hundreds page book that he just started kind of making up stuff or, or saying things that weren't practical and wouldn't actually work. And again, he set himself up as an authority because of his background, but it just didn't seem to ring true. And the thing, guys, is I would love to be able to point to one section of the book where it's like, all right, this is where I went off the rails. This is where he's definitely wrong. But to be honest with you, it, there just wasn't an opportunity for that. It just, it, there were too many examples. And so under no circumstances whatsoever, would I suggest that any of you read this book? And I know just in telling you that some of you are like, well, I think I'm going to read it now. You know, I, I get how it works with most guys, but again, this is the big thing for you guys that this is an important concept but this wasn't the book to do that. This wasn't the book to help you understand what to do. If you're going to read any book in this space, read on combat and then just move on with your day, right? I think we talked about that one last week or not last week in the, in the last podcast from last year, because that's such an incredible book. And that's a book that is, is actually timeless. This is for the most part garbage. And so again, please do not read this book. Uh, it's just an absolute, absolute hot trash. Do not read it. So here we go, guys. We've made it all the way to the end. We've talked about nine previous books, eight of which are awesome, one of which is terrible. But we're getting down to the favorite book of 2018. And this is not going to be a surprise to most of you, but here's our favorite book of 2018. 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos by Jordan B. Peterson. Here's the description. What does everyone in the modern world need to know? Renowned psychologist Jordan B. Peterson's answer to this most difficult of questions uniquely combines the hard-won truths of ancient tradition with the stunning revelations of cutting-edge scientific research. Humorous, surprising, and informative, Dr. Peterson tells us why skateboarding boys and girls must be left alone, what terrible fate awaits those who criticize too easily, and why you should always pet a cat when you meet one on the street. What does the nervous system of the lowly lobster have to tell us about standing up straight with our shoulders back and about success in life? Why did ancient Egyptians worship the capacity to pay careful attention as the highest of gods? What dreadful paths do people tread when they become resentful, arrogant, and vengeful? Dr. Peterson's journey, broadly discussing discipline, freedom, adventure, and responsibility, distilling the world's wisdom into 12 practical and profound rules for life. 12 Rules for Life shatters the modern commonplaces of science, 
faith, and human nature while transforming the ennobling and ennobling the mind and spirit of its readers. So again, guys, whole podcast episode done on this book. It was episode number 17 of this podcast. So go back there if you want a little bit more of a deep dive. But I actually took this book in twice this year. So I read it the first time. And then there was a group of guys, my my jujitsu guys that get together on Sunday nights uh, at the Forge in Edmond, Oklahoma. Uh, We did this one. And so the second time I actually listened to it. So as is as is normal, whenever the author actually reads the book, Jordan Peterson read this book and it was a treat. It was actually fantastic to hear him read the book. You actually hear him get very emotional at different times uh, while he was recording the um, you know some of the sections of the book. Just and you could just tell it's because of how much the material meant to meant to him. So for a lot of people, it's really important for us to know and to realize why a book like this would be so unbelievably important. And it's because for the most part, we just ignore things that are this important, like the things that we're looking at in this book. And again, I know a lot of you guys, maybe not a lot of you guys, but I know some of you guys out there uh, that listen to this podcast, you're not huge fans of Jordan Peterson. Some of you don't like his theology. Some of you don't even think he should talk on theology. You don't think the fact that, you know, he talked about the Bible was a good thing because he's not exactly someone who considers himself a theist. Like I get, I get the thing, but this is one of those books that is a book that you could literally read every single year and get something different out of it. I mean, just listening to a group of about, you know, a dozen to 15 guys talk about this book over, I mean, it took us about three months as a group to kind of go through it. There's such dense material that the stuff that you got from it is somewhat, it's just completely new to the other guy. They're like, wait, you got that? Like, man, I didn't get that at all. And so just an incredible, incredible book. And for those of you who don't know the rules, some of these won't make sense just on their face, but let me go and read the 12 rules for you. So rule one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule two. Treat yourself like you would someone you are responsible for helping. Rule three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Rule four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not with who someone else is today. Rule five, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Rule six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Rule seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Rule number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Rule number nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. Rule 10, be precise in your speech. Rule 11, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. And rule 12, pet a cat when you encounter one in the street. So again, amazing, amazing book. I know that he is currently under contract to write the follow-up book to this. Uh, I think whenever he originally did this, he made a list of, I don't know, 50 or a hundred rules or something like that for life. And he narrowed that down to 12 to write this book, but he does have, and will probably within the next two years, finish a follow-up to this, which I'm sure will be an immediate bestseller. Just like this one was, this ended up being one of the best-selling books of the entire year, which two years ago, if I told you some obscure Canadian professor was going to be at the top of the charts with, you know, uh, basically a psychoanalytical look at a self-helpy type of subject matter, uh, you would have probably thought I was crazy, but I'm going to go ahead and go into my favorite quote. And there's so much quotable in this. So uh, it was really, really tough for me to find the one, but I think this is the one that's most appropriate for you guys. So this is from rule number 11, which again was do not bother children when they are skateboarding. Men have to toughen up. Men demand it and women want it, even though they may not approve of the harsh and contemptuous attitude that is part and parcel of the socially demanding process that fosters and then enforces that toughness. Some women don't like losing their baby boys, so they keep them forever. Some women don't like men and would rather have a submissive mate, even if he is useless. 
This also provides them with plenty to feel sorry for themselves about as well. The pleasures of such self-pity should not be underestimated. Men toughen up by pushing themselves and by pushing each other. So again, guys, our favorite book of 2018, and it was our favorite by a mile, 12 Rules for Life, an antidote to chaos. So guys, um, whenever we were looking at 2018, if y'all remember, back in 2017, I gave you what the next 10 books that I wanted to read. And so the thing was, is I didn't get to a lot of those books. And again, I didn't have a very good reading year this year when it came to the content that I thought was awesome. But what I wanted to do for you here is let's just say by some stretch of the imagination, none of those previous 10 books that we talked about or the nine that I'm actually suggesting that you read actually seemed interesting to you. But let's just assume that none of those things just really hit the spot for you and made you want to move off your butt, get on Amazon and buy it or go to the bookstore and get it or get it on, you know, iBooks or whatever. I'm going to basically give you, I think it's a few dozen in, in totality, books that we're looking at uh, reading maybe in the next year or over the next several years, but these are books that are timeless. And so the first few were actually on last year's list. So you'll recognize some of them, but these are a, a lot of books that we're interested in in reading and interested in looking at further. And so I'm not going to get into a a long description of each. I'm just going to say them. And uh, of course, I'll provide the links to, to them later so you can look at the descriptions for yourselves. So here we go. The first is The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So again, if you listen to Jordan Peterson, he can't like talk for two minutes without mentioning The Gulag Archipelago. And so I actually just bought that recently. So I will be taking that down early next year. Another one is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I'm actually in the middle of reading that right now. The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris. That was on last year's list. Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. Boy, Incredible Voyage, good grief. Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. Boom, nailed it by Alfred Lansing. The next one is Five Proofs of the Existence of God by Edward Fesser. So this is a book that I'm really disappointed is not in uh, in an iBook format. So this is one that I'll probably have to purchase uh, a, an actual hard copy. The next one is Professor in the Cage, Why Men Fight and Why We Like to Watch by Jonathan Goschel. The next is The Dichotomy of Leadership, Balancing the Challenges of Extreme Ownership to Lead and Win. That's by one of our favorites, Jocko Willink and Leif Bavin. This is the follow-up to Extreme Ownership. Next book. God in the Transgender Debate by Andrew T. Walker. Very excited about that one. The next one, Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ by John MacArthur. That'll actually be my first foray into John MacArthur materials. It's kind of one of those things where when you have an author that's written so many books, you're like, okay, where do you start? So where I'm starting is the the book that costs $3.99. So that that's why I'm going to be reading that one. Next book, Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds by David Goggins. So if you're a Joe Rogan experienced podcast listener, uh, Dave Goggins has been on there a couple of different times, former Navy SEAL, uh, extreme marathoner, ultra marathoner thing. Anyway, just uh, all around crazy person. The next one is The Gagging of God by D.A. Carson. After that, the Francis Chan collection, Crazy Love, Forgotten God, Erasing Hell, and Erasing Hell and Multiply. You like that little uh, Southern twang you got there on Hail, Erasing Hail. But uh, the the big one I want to read from that is Crazy Love, just because everybody on the planet that claims to be a Christian has read uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. But I actually bought this uh, this book with uh, actually four of those books in there, so I'll be reading those. The next is The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Alex Epstein. The next is Liberty and Tyranny, A Conservative Manifesto by Mark Levin. The next is The Red Circle, My Life in the Navy SEAL Sniper Corps and How I Trained America's Deadliest Marksman by Brandon Webb. Uh, I'm very excited about that book. And the main reason is because some of my favorite books and some of just 
the most entertaining books for me to read are modern military memoirs. For, for whatever reason, it's harder for me to get into Vietnam memoirs or, or stories from uh, Korea or World War II or you know, World War I, any of that kind of stuff, Revolutionary War even, uh, Civil War. But I'm really, really interested in the things that have gone on in Iraq and Afghanistan. For whatever reason, I feel a deeper connection to that. So I'll be taking that one down. The next is Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. The next is Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. So if you don't know who Thomas Sowell is, he's one of the foremost um, financial analyst type individuals. He, he's just an amazing mind when it comes to, to finance and uh, the economy, but also he does a lot of database um, information. He, this guy's been famous for a very, very long time, but sometimes his, his content is not seen as terribly accessible. So that'll be my first foray into Thomas Sowell. The next book is Ordinary Men, Reserve Police Battalion 101 and the Final Solution in Poland by Christopher R. Browning. The next is A Tale of Three Kings, A Study in Brokenness by Gene Edwards. The next is Boys Adrift, The Five Factors Driving the Growing Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Young Men by Leonard Sachs. So for all you dads of sons out there, that's probably going to be a good one for you. The next, On Guard, Defending Your Faith with Reason and Precision by William Lane Craig. The next is Darwin's Doubt, The Explosive Origin of Animal Life and the Case for Intelligent Design by Stephen C. Meyer. The next, The Diversity Delusion, How Race and Gender Pandering Corrupt the University and Undermine Our Culture by Heather McDonald. The next is Iron John, A Book About Men by Robert Bly. The next is Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Life-Changing Truth for a Skeptical World by Josh McDowell. The next is Genesis and the Big Bang, The Discovery of Harmony Between Modern Science and the Bible by Gerald Schroeder. The next is The Arm. Inside the Billion Dollar Mystery of the Most Valuable Commodity in Sports by Jeff Passan. So obviously for you baseball guys out there, that'll be a good one for you. Next, Understanding Gender Dysphoria, Navigating Transgender Issues in a Changing Culture by Mark A. Yarhouse. The next is Martin Luther, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World by Aaron Metaxas. He also wrote the uh, devotional on, uh, oh shoot, Bonhoeffer. I literally almost forgot it, but he wrote that really long um, biography of Bonhoeffer. So I'm excited for that one. The next one is Empire of the Summer Moon, Quanah Parker and the Rise of the and Fall of the Comanches, the most powerful Indian tribe in American history by S.C. Gwynn. The Church in Babylon, Heeding the Call to be Light in the Darkness by Erwin W. Lutzer and Ed Stetzer. The next Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian by Justin Brierley. So Justin Brierley has the Unbelievable podcast, which we'll be talking uh, more about our in our podcast episode next week. So next one, Seven Days That Divide the World, The Beginning According to Genesis and Science by John Lennox. The next is Jesus Among Secular Gods, The Countercultural Claims of Christ by Ravi Zacharias. The next, The Coddling of the American Mind. How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure by Greg Lukanoff. The next, and one of the ones I'm maybe most excited about, but I'm a little disappointed because of how expensive it is, but it's Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, A Response to Evangelical Feminism by John Piper. So guys, I know I started the podcast whenever we were talking about the books, talking about how you don't read and how that's really, really stupid and how you really should read. I've given you 10 books from this year. And also, I don't even know how many that was, two, three dozen there at the end on a myriad of different subjects. And just because I love you so much, I gave you links to everything. So you can go click on on Amazon, see if you like them, look at the reviews, all those different things. There are no excuses for you not to read the most books you've ever read in a year in 2019. 
No excuses whatsoever. I'm throwing the gauntlet down. Make it happen. So guys, I want to know from you what your favorite books were that you read in 2018 and what is on your list for 2019. So if you would do me a solid, hit me with an email at info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life, or you can just respond to me on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. Because again, those are a lot of books that we're excited about, but I know Ben Shapiro has got a book coming out next year that has to do with kind of Judeo-Christian ethics and morality and those types of things. So there's going to be a lot more books that are going to be added to that, but we, we just want to make sure that all that's there for you. Okay. All right, guys, before we let you out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. If, uh, as you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically we do that by providing content like this podcast that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today was just a big mental resilience day. And so again, we're going to give you links to all of the books, the best books from this year and the books we're most excited about for next year. So the challenge to you is to make your book list for next year. If you're an e-reader, go ahead and get on and buy some books. If you're an Amazon person, you like you like to fill the pages in your hands, go ahead and order some, go to your local bookstore, whatever you want to do, get those books and get ready, right? Don't, don't wait for the motivation to strike you. When the first book comes in, read a chapter of that book that night and, and just see where it goes. But we've given you the tools to do it. Now it's time for you to take advantage. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We really enjoy that you've listened to this. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, that is how this podcast is going to continue to get out there to guys like the guy that sent me a message from Australia. So please leave us a five-star review if we deserve one and make sure you leave us a few sentences letting us know what you like about the podcast, all right? I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2019. So hit me at an, with an email at info at undaunted.life if you'd like me to come speak to your team, to your event, to your men's group, to your Sunday school, whatever. Again, info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.